Looking for practical information to help you make decisions about your diagnosis, whether DCIS, early or metastatic breast cancer? BCNA's My Journey features articles, webcasts, videos and podcasts about breast cancer during treatment and beyond to help you, your friends and family as you progress through your journey. It also features a symptom tracker to help you manage the changing symptoms you may encounter during your own breast cancer experience. My Journey. Download the app or sign up online at myjourney.org.au. Let's be upfront about sexuality after breast cancer. It's a topic that not many women are comfortable talking about and as a result, people struggling with it avoid seeking help. But cancer treatment does cause physical changes to a woman's body and can impact on her sexual well-being. In this episode of Upfront, we're going to talk about some of the sexual side effects of breast cancer treatment, what causes them and how to manage them. Joining us is Simone Sheridan, a sexual health nurse consultant at Austin Health and breast cancer survivor Alison Fraser. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thanks. Hi. Already, I know so many women listening will be thinking, thank goodness that someone <laughs> is going to talk about this. Yeah, finally. <laughs> it's it's a little bit uncomfortable for people, isn't it? It is. And I'm so glad it's in this format of a podcast because I can imagine people with their headphones on going for a walk or doing the dishes, but actually getting a chance to experience this conversation. So, Alison, having lived through breast cancer treatment, what were some of the things that you experienced from a sexual well-being perspective that affected you? That affected me? Um, putting quite simply, vaginal dryness. Um, I was prepared for it. I had an oncologist who had warned me that was a potential side effect. So when it happened, and it happened quite suddenly, and I at least knew what it was. Um, so the first thing that occurred to me was how difficult it would be if you didn't know what it was. Mm. Um, if you hadn't been told, if you hadn't, my oncologist is great and gives me written information and I read it, um, but if you hadn't read the small print, <laughs> <laughs> um, or even if you weren't very sure what vaginal dryness actually means, you know, does that mean just not as wet as normal or what does it actually mean? But I did know what it meant. And it was a question, therefore, of actually saying, OK, what am I prepared to do about it? Um, which did in include asking somebody. But it also leads to a situation where, as most people who've had breast cancer or probably any serious illness will easily realise, that eventually it comes back to a decision you have to make for yourself, which is, I can do this, or I cannot do that, or I can hope it goes away. <laughs> And you often don't know who to talk to when. And I think it's quite hard for professionals who are not trained in women's sexuality, that's not their area of specialisation if you're an oncologist, to actually talk to women about it. Or to talk to men because it affects men who've had breast cancer too. Mm. So, you know, not necessarily vaginal dryness, yeah. but th their sexuality yes. is affected. Yeah. I think it's so. a greater thing in society, isn't it, that sex is so taboo. I mean, it's everywhere. It's on the media. We, you know, every time well, we it, watch it, not the everywhere. It, 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 it's at us every yes. two minutes. Yeah. But, but, but it's all about largely 
fake news. Mm. <laughs> it really is about yeah. this is what you're expected to do. This is the level of sexual activity you're expected to have. This is what's considered normal. <laughs> this is what's considered raunchy. This is what's considered fun. But it's not about... This is the sort of problem that lots of people have mm. and now we'll talk about it because it would be really good to get it out in the air. Well, mm. I think that's right. And, and Alison just said normal, the mm. word normal. Oh, don't Normal we... is different for everybody, Simone, isn't yes. it? So how many women actually, or men, suffer in silence unsure whether what they're experiencing I is would imagine normal. so many, so many do. I mean, the women that come to see me have actually put their hand up or they've sought help and they've got a referral and they've come through to the sexual health service. Um, but many of them have a story of it's been weeks or months or potentially even years mm. that they've sat with things and not spoken about it. So I suspect there's a lot of women and men out there that are experiencing symptoms because we have, we all carry a lot of shame around sex and it's a, there's a lot of secrecy. And so it's it's almost seen as, oh, I'm, I'm less than because this has changed now, so I don't want to speak up and seek help for it. So Alice has touched on uh, vaginal dryness. What are some of the mo more, like that, common yeah. issues that people face following breast cancer treatment? Vaginal dryness is definitely one of the, one of the big ones. Um, but the, I think we've got to think of sexuality is much more just than, than the act of sex and of just than our genitals. It's actually, it's a big encompassing thing of who we are and how we see ourselves in the world. Um, so for a lot of people, it's actually about body image and how they feel about themselves. Um, but thinking of more specific sexual problems as well, one of the big ones that I do speak to a lot of women and men about are desire discrepancies mm. in the relationship. Mm. Okay. So, so what, loss of libido? Loss of yeah, libido, yep. yeah. Yeah, a change. And, you know, that that can be influenced by so many factors. I mean, sexual desire is, is a very interesting and complex phenomena. And I think... We spend our, our 20s and our 30s maybe experiencing more spontaneous sexual desire and then often when there's an illness or an injury um, or we, as we age, we start noticing that spontaneous desire might start to be a little less frequent or, with, for example, with breast cancer, it might be a sudden drop away. And that could be influenced from physical reasons because of medications or That's it could right. be from psychological reasons too and how we feel about ourselves and our body changes. But it can, can be quite sudden. I mean, I... I I was about to say I blame, I don't blame. My medication has a lot to do with it. Mm. I'm very grateful to my medication. I'm still here. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it serves It's doing what it should be doing. But it, it's, it's sometimes very easy to look for help and not so much be fobbed off, but my vaginal dryness happened really quickly and it happened precisely after I'd gone on to medication. So I'm pretty sure of what caused mm. it. Um, because of my age, I've been told so many times that this is a natural part of growing older and it had nothing to do with it, to which the answer is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but not that's a natural a fair part assumption, of growing older. So how do you, how do you, how do you uh, balance, balance that, yeah. Simone? Yeah. Yeah. There are natural age-related changes that happen to us as we get older. There is um, changes that happen to our bodies, that happen to everyone's bodies, but they don't stop us being sexual beings. And I think, you know, that going through menopause is a really big life stage for women and that does, that can actually cause vaginal dryness. 
And how do we balance that with, I think the thing that happens with a breast cancer treatment is that happens really suddenly. So in menopause and as you age, these changes happen quite slowly, your body can adapt to it. And seeking help might be something that you've got a bit of time to work up to and build the confidence to. And you've got um, the, you're mentally preparing for yeah, it because you've you know, been, you've you've been you're taught probably, you're talking to your, your group of friends and your friends. friends through it. Yeah. 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 And, and a lot of the treatments are really similar for women who've been through menopause as well. But that suddenness can be, mm. can be so hard. And you think about, you know, a body adapting to such big changes so quickly um, that can feel really significant. So what do we do? What do we do? Yes. <laughs> I think you're the expert here, <laughs> No, I'm not the expert at all because in many ways my way of dealing with, with, with was to some extent predicated on my circumstances and my age. One, I was in a very stable, long-lasting relationship where we could talk about these things and where normal, what I call common and garden intercourse, was not the only form of sexual expression that we were mm. accustomed to. So there's a, there's a head start. Had I been... 35, um, starting a new relationship or looking to start a new relationship, already possibly sensitive about the fact that I've lost a breast or I've lost two breasts, totally different circumstance. So my way of dealing with was to a certain extent to say, this is a side effect, it's a side effect I can live with and I can work my way around it, quite simply yeah. as that. So Simone, is it usually a side effect that lasts forever? Once the body has been pushed through menopause with the medication, then those side effects of vaginal atrophy, it's often called, where there's this dryness and inflammation, um, is, is a side effect. The body can adapt slightly, but that side effect is likely to be permanent. And the side effects may vary also. I yeah, mean, I, I certainly have atrophy. That's been well and truly going to I don't have any inflammation. Yes. So I have no discomfort whatsoever. Yeah. Whereas for some women, I think they can yes. experience yeah. quite high levels of discomfort, even walking or just sitting. Walking so yeah, not yeah. just in sexual no, activity, no, no, no. but everyday yeah. life yes. which yeah. can be quite debilitating yeah. and oh, distracting. Very much so. Yes. 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 I mean as women we don't walk about our days thinking about our vaginas. Generally we don't have any <laughs> conscious feeling of that. Or, or if you do, it's usually quite it's a pleasurable <laughs> thing. Yes. Whereas it's not actually, something that's constantly no. rubbing in your face that yeah. you don't work the way you used to. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a really important thing. So if there are women out there thinking I'm more aware of my vagina mm. than I was before, that's really worth talking to someone about so that it doesn't it distract yeah. them and annoy them throughout life as well. And also, because it is a permanent change, that's an even greater reason not to feel like you've got to put out with it. Oh, definitely. And we have some really good treatments for it as well. What so, are some of the treatments? So some of the treatments, um, people have probably heard of vaginal moisturisers. Um, you know, as we get older, our skin gets drier and we wear moisturisers on our face. Well, that's the similar for the vaginal tissues as well. And we all go out spending a fortune spend on those. We a fortune on face moisturisers, <laughs> exactly. And there's some very good vaginal moisturisers. And what they do is they can be used as a daily moisturising cream, sometimes even two or three times a day if a woman and feels that that's helpful. Sometimes there are concerns, I believe, with creams that contain oestrogen, especially yeah. for those... I had one. Yeah, I, I was very... I wasn't going to touch it. <laughs> it was as simple as that. Well, because you were yeah. fearful of it affecting yeah, a yes. treatment or, or for some I'm reason being the reason it came back? to reduce the impact yeah. of estrogen potentially on cancer cells. So mm. why the hell would I do that? Mm. You know, sort of it wasn't, it didn't seem terribly good idea. It was my breast surgeon, who is terrific, who sat me down and worked out with 
sheet of paper and a pen exactly what was happening for me in my circumstances at my age with my diagnosis, where I was in treatment, what was happening with the rest of my body, how little impact this was going to have. And indeed, he convinced me I have been using it and things have improved. Mm. And to me, what was really good about it was that this isn't a magic cure. This will help. But also it was really good to actually be able to talk to somebody who would go to that amount of detail about not just this is good for the condition, but this is why it is good for you. Mm. Because if, if atrophy goes too far, it can cause other complications. So there are very good medical reasons for doing it, as well as reasons for your sexual health and your, mm. your ongoing sort of feeling good about your body. So yeah. it is worth investigating. It may not work for everyone. But it's certainly worth investigating. I think it's definitely worth talking to your doctor about yep. because it is a decision that's made based on your individual risk. Precisely. And yep. clearly individual, uh, well, we're all different physically. Yeah. And therefore a one-size-fits-all approach, approach yeah, for, for sexual no. you know, health yeah. is not going to work, is it? No, exactly. It's not. But, I mean, for many women... I, I can't speak for men, but I imagine it's probably much the same. For many women, there is a bit of a one-size-fits-all in terms of treatment for breast cancer, full stop. You know, we, we, we're not perfect about chemo. This works for most people, so we'll try it for you. So people have probably gone through a little bit of this before they start getting to the stage where their medication is causing the problem. So this is yet one more one-size-fits-all which I think people do actually experience a little bit of that. It's not because people are not thinking of them as individuals. I think it's far more because medically we just haven't got that far yet to be able to tailor things to individuals. Yeah. But it does tend to, I think, encourage people, unless they're very much their own advocates, to say, oh, well, that's just what the treatment does. Mm. You know? And just to make a point too, that this the worries around oestrogen in vaginal creams is particularly for women who have oestrogen-sensitive yes. breast yes. cancers. So not for all women no. with breast cancer, yeah. Um, so for some women it's fine and they can use it, and for other women they might want to have a chat with their oncologist about it. So we've got the moisturisers, we've got the oestrogen-containing creams, and we've got good quality lubricants in terms of sexual activity. So the moisturisers and the creams are really good for maintaining that everyday moisture and reducing that everyday discomfort. But in terms of sexual activity, the ability of the vagina to self-lubricate in the way that it did before treatment isn't going to be there. So we need to provide the lubricants externally. And look, I could talk to you for hours about <laughs> And, and that's not lubes. just about the different flavours <laughs> no, and stuff no. well, like actually, that. Yeah, tell people to avoid lubes with flavours and colours. Is colors. that right? Okay. A lot of the flavoured lubes and the coloured lubes actually contain sugars. Yeah. And if you are using a lubricant with sugars in, particularly if you've had cancer treatment, then that might put you more at risk of thrush. And that's definitely not something you want to add into the mix. So no, there's I would, enough going on yeah, already, yeah. isn't there? I would always yes. recommend um, a good quality organic lubricant. Um, they come in... Would you like me to talk about lubes yeah. a bit more? <laughs> well, I'm sure we could go on for hours about different lubricants. I can just give you a little overview in that you can use water-based lubricants or silicon-based lubricants. They're the most common 
Water-based lubricants are great and useful in all circumstances. The one thing you need to be aware of is you might need to top them up throughout the activity because they can be absorbed into the body, which is fine. Uh, the silicon ones are much more long-lasting. You can use a little bit and it will last for a, a long period of time and they feel actually a lot more comfortable. Uh, but the problem is that they're not good if you're using silicon sex toys because the silicon on silicon can rub things away. Note to yeah. self on that one. And it's also really, if somebody's in a long-term committed relationship where they're not using condoms or any sort of barrier protection, actually organic um, olive oil, coconut oil, mm. almond oil can be used as lubricants. But you um, want to avoid the oils if you're using a condom or barrier protection. Yeah. We've talked about not suffering in silence. Sometimes it can actually be quite dangerous to push through pain. Yeah, it really can be. So for some women experiencing penetrative intercourse after breast cancer, especially if maybe there hasn't been, maybe that person isn't feeling really in the mood, there hasn't been lots of foreplay and warm-up time and there's not uh, enough lubricant happening, then there can be a painful reaction to that. It's really important that if somebody experiences pain, then, um, then that sexual penetration stops and they have a talk about it um, and potentially have a chat to their health professional as well about it. The risk of pushing through pain is that it can set up uh, a, a condition known as vaginismus where there's involuntary contractions of the pelvic floor muscles because the body goes, oh, I don't want to experience this again. And so it locks those pelvic floor muscles in. So if there is pain happening, um, pause that activity and, and look at more external pleasure potentially for, for a while and actually talk to, talk to a health professional about that. BCNA's online network is an active peer-to-peer -peer support community where people affected by breast cancer can find information and connect with others who understand what you're going through. Read posts, write your own, ask a question, start a discussion and support others. The online network is available for you at every stage of your breast cancer journey, as well as your family, partner and friends. For more information, visit bcna.org.au forward slash online network. So Alison mentioned she's in a long-term relationship. What about those that are not? How do they go about, well, broaching? Or yeah. what recommendations do you have for those? Yeah, I've definitely that, spoken uh, with women that have said, oh, gosh, I just don't know where to go to from here. So much has changed. How do I talk about it? I think a really good way to think about it is that, especially as we as we go through life, we never really enter a relationship completely without any baggage, whether that's things that have happened to us emotionally in the past or physical changes. And I think that one of the best approaches to take is to actually talk about that with somebody early on before, uh, instead of seeing it as a barrier and seeing it as something that you need to hide away, actually being upfront about about what's happened to you and how you're feeling. Obviously, those details you might disclose as you get to know somebody better and you can kind of gauge their reaction to it. But actually having those conversations might, you might find that there's moments when you share something that you feel, gosh, you know, there's this horrible thing that I want to, you know, I need to be able to tell and you tell someone and often might, that might give them permission to share some things with you that they also find challenging in life or, you know, or is going on for them from a body or sexual perspective too. So it might actually deepen the relationship. I think that's true. I think there's also another aspect of talking about it, which is how do you know well, from the point of view of the person who's giving advice, not the person who's seeking it, how do you know how much is enough at what time? Oh, I've yeah. heard so many people say, 
nobody told me that. And there's real anger in that. You know, I've already been dealing with the fact I've got breast cancer. I've already dealt with the fact that I've, you know, I've lost a breast or I've lost both or, you know, I've already had surgery. I've had, you know, reconstruction. I've gone through all this. And I'm having treatment for it. And then something happens and the answer is, oh, well, that was caused by, why didn't anyone tell me? I have no idea how any professional knows sometimes when they've met a person for the first or second time whether this person is capable of hearing the full gamut of what might happen heavily emphasis on might or is not Mm. so as a professional how do you gauge that when somebody comes to you and says i'm looking for information i have an oncologist god bless him he's wonderful who tends to go through i'll tell you everything and I walked out of my first meeting with him thinking I'd been hit over the head by a steamroller. It's a real balancing act. It's a real balancing act. Other people who get told everything will be okay, but then it isn't, and they're deeply resentful. It's really tricky stuff. How do professionals manage? Oh, it's really hard, and I don't think there is a good textbook on this, and I think every professional takes it differently in terms of building up that relationship with the client or the patient that's coming in. I think there is some information, especially around cancer treatment, that we really have to make sure is conveyed in terms of risks and side effects. And there's other information that can be given at various times later. Unfortunately, sexuality is one of those things that it's not a life or death situation. Um, and so, and many, as far as the list of priorities totally, when you're going through breast cancer, it may it, not it may, seem... It may actually be pushed way down the list. No, I um, mean, for most people, the immediate reaction is, I'm going to die. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we're dealing with the fact, no, I'm not going to die and I'm going to do this and Mm. I'm going to do this and we all know we've got these appointments and we've all got through. The last thing we're actually thinking about is sex. Right, yeah. because right at the moment it is not. It's on not the list. on the cards. <laughs> it's not on my list, and I need to get through this. And I don't know that that's necessarily the best time for many people to be talking about it. And they're trying to take in so much other information that to try and take that in as well. I think the most important thing is that people know that it's a topic that's up for discussion mm. if they'd like to talk about it. So, how do you balance between telling someone what might happen and? scaring them and pushing towards the well I'm sure they'll bring it up if there's something going on. So one of my roles is that I try and uh, educate health professionals to talk about sex and so one of the ways we talk about having these conversations is to generally bring it up in the sense that saying having breast cancer and breast cancer treatment can actually have an impact on on your sexuality and your sexual function. Is this something you'd like some more information about? Because you can gauge from that person's response as to how much more information they'd like mm. about it. And then you can say say to them, would you like me to go through some of the risks? These are things that might happen to you. Or would you like to talk about things as they come up? So, so putting so the yeah, putting the autonomy back with the person experiencing. And, that, and this is an issue, I think, for everybody in that circumstance. Ultimately, you have to make the decision. Um, your medical advisors, your counsellors can help you. But ultimately, and, and I know a lot of people find this really, really difficult, the decision is yours. And a lot of people really feel desperate. They want somebody to guide them. And that is, to a large extent, please make this decision on my behalf because I don't know what to do. And for most of us, this is very new. Mm. You know, we haven't faced this before. 
make a decision about whether you take treatment that could do this and you're going to be on it for 10 years. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> what do mm. I do? What a lot um, must do is go and Google. Yes. Which can be helpful, but can also be very unhelpful. It can be really unhelpful. And in the context of sex or experiencing sexual symptoms, if you start Googling, you're going to end up <laughs> somewhere potentially you never really aim to go and then you'll be dealing with those pop-ups on your computer for a while. <laughs> yeah. But you've, you've actually got a really useful t- tip for Yeah, so a really too. useful tip. For, I mean, because Googling is something people will do and, yes. and especially about sex if it feels uncomfortable to talk about. So one of the things that I even encourage health professionals to do if they're trying to find out more on the topic is to Google the question they're interested in, maybe it's sexuality and breast cancer, but add in PDF into the Google search engine as well. Because when you add in PDF, you actually get documents that have generally been published by organisations. So that's a really good way to find your fact sheets, your information sheets. Um, I always encourage people to see if they can find a date on it, because we want to make sure that we're accessing recent information. Then you can print these fact sheets and you can actually take them into your health professional and talk through them. So we've talked about the physical. What about the emotional impact? Not wanting to either feel sexual, not wanting sexual activity, loss of libido. How is that addressed? Alison, did you experience yep. that? Yep. Um, it just isn't terribly important in my life anymore. Um, and in a relationship, but I imagine that's fine for the first, you know, couple of months or whatever. And then... Depends on your relationship. Mm. Um, the loss of libido was much more gradual. And I cannot, again, personal circumstance, I cannot say it is not affected by age. All right? Um, I can't... It might not be, but equally it might be. I think it probably is mm. a bit... Yeah, so I think it's a combination of things. Um, if that's going to happen, then you've got two ways of dealing with it. You can either accept that and continue in a loving relationship knowing that somebody else is pretty happy to be having sex and deal with that, or you can desperately try to resurrect it. I haven't chosen to do the latter. Um, I don't think that's... M- my way of dealing with it my way of dealing with it to say it's still fun mm. it's still um it's still close it's still intimate i really it's like still... what you said before alison about having uh, looked beyond the garden variety of sex yes. i think this is something that i do with things you people can do. who come to see <laughs> exactly of going let's step away from this traditional idea yes. of sex as penetrative intercourse exactly and actually focus on pleasure yes and focus on body exploration and actually sometimes when i i meet with people who've had breast cancer and we talk about what's going on at home. And I say to them, what what sort of touch would you like at the moment? What would feel really good? And, you know, I've had women go, oh, God, I just love someone to play with my hair, yep. stroke my back. Rub my back. Mm. Yep. And it's Tell actually going, things. we have this very kind of narrow definition of sex, but sex is so much broader than that. Sex is being intimate and sensual with somebody. Yep. And that can be anything from having a close cuddle, playing with someone's hair, holding hands in a way that you both recognise as that's what it means. I, and All of those things I think are important yeah. and probably get squeezed out a bit in the so-called normal. And I think the other thing that's really important that I wanted to talk about that I see happen is that people are worried that if they engage in a close intimate behaviour like cuddling or um, having a hug or 
spooning in bed, that they might send a message that they want something that they don't. If they haven't had that conversation with their partner, they're worried about things then, oh, but if I, if I lay there and I give him a cuddle, he's going to think that I want this, so I don't. So what I see then are couples that get more and more pushed apart and are scared of that physical intimacy. One, because there's one partner going, I don't want them to think that I want it because I know they, they don't. And the other partner going, I don't want them to get that message either. And, and that divides the... It causes a bit of a rift in the relationship. So one of the therapies that I, when I'm working with, with couples where one person's experienced breast cancer is sometimes actually to ban sex. And together we'll talk about it mm. and we might actually say, look, sex in, in the sense of sexual intercourse, it's off the cards and we'll put a time limit on it if they'd like that. Three months, four months. So during that time, if there's any intimate contact that happens, there's this understanding between the two people that it's not going to lead there. So we can enjoy that pleasure. So instead of having to go, oh God, am I giving the message that this is where I want things to go? I can go, oh, that naked cuddle, that back rub, I'm just really enjoying it and I can relax and enjoy it. And I think some men might find that actually lifts a little bit of pressure. Mm. My partner's the same age as me. Um, He's not as dependable as he used to be. <laughs> Let's be quite That's a clear great on this. <laughs> well, what, what about for those but, that but, are but, younger, though? But in actual fact, yeah. if, if you can actually take some pleasure in other ways, um, we've had more of us lying in bed, howling with laughter at the things that don't quite work. Humour still has to be one of your best assets. You know, see the funny side of it. There will be a funny Definitely. side. I promise you there will be a funny side. Yeah. But you've got to actually be open to it. Yes. And lots of difficult things can be dissolved, literally, by laughing. Yeah, so it's a good way of getting through it, of, of tone everything down. It's not the end of the world. Mm. You know, these are things that you can explore other th ways around. And it may actually, surprise, surprise, get you to... An occasionally happier place. It's mm. quite possible to do that. Simone, what about for people that are currently not in a relationship mm. and they would like to, whether it's abstinence for a while and then engage, engage in, in, sexual, in, intimacy in sexual intimacy, how do they... Yeah, because people... Can it return to normal? Can it return to normal? Oh, look, I think... <laughs> We, we always want everything to go back to what it was before at the start of going this... But, but things have changed. So much has changed. Your body's changed. Your outlook on life, your experience of life has changed. And so it's going to be, I guess, what we term as a new normal. It's going to be different. It doesn't necessarily need to be better or worse, but it is going to be different. So I think there is this feeling sometimes of holding on to, I'm just waiting for it to go back to like it was, where in actual fact, that... that getting to a point of acceptance and grieving that life but also accepting what is now is going to open you up to those new experiences and new explorations. I think it's, I think it's a really hard one and I think that is one that takes a lot of getting used to. Um, many people who've had cancer say I am sick of people saying oh well you're okay now. You know I finished active treatment, my hair's grown back, everything seems normal and I don't feel normal. And I can't speak for myself on that because I didn't have a particularly difficult transition with it. But I've heard enough people who have and they don't feel normal. And quite naturally what they want to go back to is feeling the way they did before, particularly if that was a happy time in their life. Nobody goes back. None of us can go back. 
it doesn't matter what happens to us, we don't go back. <laughs> but that's really hard to let go of if what you have now, and this might be two, three years after diagnosis, seems not as good as what we had before. The really hard part seems to be, and it does seem to take time, and that's really difficult to face, that people do gradually get to a position where other factors in their life start to balance things out a little bit better. But it's really hard. And it's very hard to say to someone, and particularly to their friends and relatives, when you've had cancer, it isn't six months or 12 months of chemo. And it's not the two, five, or even 10 years of hormonal treatment. It's actually adjusting to something that will go on for the rest of your life. Um, I always say that you've drawn a line in the sand and you can't go back to that, you've crossed the line. And part of the crossing of the line is, you know something bad can happen to you. We're all pretty hardwired to believe it never will, but now we know it can. And with that is the fear, what if something bad happens again? And that to me is one of the biggest things that you have to adjust to, is actually that change in what it is I'm afraid of and what I refuse to be afraid of. And that takes really quite some time for most people. I think what Alison said is fear is a very powerful emotion. Mm, yeah. So what would your recommendation be to anyone that's, whether they've got uh, vaginal dryness, whether they're getting increased urinary tract infections or have a weak bladder? Is it, for goodness sake, go and talk to somebody? It really is. I think sometimes the the fear and shame, especially around sex and personal issues, can really hinder us seeking help. But one of the best things that we can do with shame is speak it. And it might be the first time you actually tell a close friend, just to see how, how that feels to actually say it. But please know that health professionals will love you to come and actually share those fears. And I have to say, not all health professionals will necessarily know what to do about that. Some of them might say, oh gosh, okay, um, yes, oh, look, I'm not sure. And a good health professional will go and find mm. out. But also, if you don't get a good answer, I, and that's the thing too, of don't necessarily feel like you have to talk to a certain role of person, like your oncologist. Mm. You might find you have a better relationship with your breast care nurse, or you might find you have a really good relationship with your GP. I would trust your intuition and trust the personality of the person that you're talking to, because we get a really good feeling for how things go. And if that person doesn't know the answers, see if they can help you find out. And if they can't help you find out, can they point you to somebody else who might be able to? I guess this is where you do need to be, like you were saying before, a bit of an advocate for yourself and and try and try and extend your extend your confidence to this level of talking about a personal topic. But I think you'll find that once you do talk about it, it does open up a world of um, ideas and potential solutions or potential support. And I think just even that having that conversation can be incredibly relieving because someone else has heard that this is going on for you and it's not just you hiding this inside. And there's nothing quite like having the experience of someone else that's been through it. I know BCNA's online network has a, a private group called Let's Talk About Vaginas. Yes, uh, and I think there's lots of love and support and, yeah. and, 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 and handy And kids. a lot of people saying, I've tried this and it worked, or I tried this and it didn't work as well as something else. Yeah. So there's a bit of user group going on there. <laughs> yeah. Thank you both no for, for sharing your Thanks thoughts for with us, us and being upfront about sexual health 
An episode made possible with thanks to Cancer Australia through the Australian Government's Supporting Women in Rural Areas Diagnosed with Breast Cancer Program. If you'd like more information about sexuality following breast cancer, we have put some links to resources on our website, bcna.org.au. The opinions of our guests are welcome, but not necessarily shared by BCNA. If you have any individual concerns, please contact a health professional. We hope you find our podcast series informative. You can help others find us too by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, I'm Kelly Curtin. Thanks for being upfront with us. Thank you.